So now that we're recording this a second time now, right? Yes. <laughs> By the way, the first one was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. Episode. If you missed this, only Rebecca caught this revelation. Ooh, man. Only, Good stuff. man. <laughs> so in the car ride here, again, um, we were talking about a multitude of different things. But one of the things that just keeps driving to me is one of the reasons why I really felt led to do this type of podcast where we just talk. It's just conversation, right? It's conversation about God, some of the struggles the church has, some of the obstacles that we have as Christians. And not just because I hate to put it just like it's always opposition, right? There's always Christian opposition. Always, Yes, listen, we get opposition, right, for our stance, our beliefs and stuff like that. But I think we do a lot of it to ourselves as well, too, for a multitude of different reasons. What we're teaching, why we're teaching it, how we're teaching it. Is it even scripture? Our lack of uh, empathy, understanding. Uh, the hypocritical nature that 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 Christians sometimes come across as, and when you look at who Jesus was, I see, I see a very stark difference than his rep are us his representatives at. Right. You know, Jesus was moving around in his message, the gospels, good news, right? It was good news to all that here. We have this in our foundations course that when you break that word evangelist up, the euangelistase word, um, that Greek word, the, the word is that you're leaving better than you came off. Mm -hmm. And the second part of that word is the word for angel, mm -hmm. literally a word for angel. So just put that picture in your head together, that just some type of contact that leaves you better. I think, you know, you're going to mom's house. She's got that comfort food, right? You know, you're going through something. She's encouraging you. You leave the house. You're, you, you, you left better than you came there, mm -hmm. you know? And when you meet Jesus, you leave better than you come there. But yeah, when they meet Christians, they leave sometimes worse off, feeling beaten up, feeling... Like the legs got kicked out from underneath them. And, you know, the world loved Jesus. He had a good message. Uh, and the church hated him because it went against their their message. And then today, the church likes the church. The world hates the church. And I just don't understand how we could ever be effective that way. Mm, yeah. So I'm going to plug my school here for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I just, at Present Truth Academy, I just finished a 10-week study on the Sermon on the Mount. And... Um, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And I tell you, I, I'd never seen the themes emerge until you do just a 10-week deep, deep dive into it all. So it, it's – most people would agree it's the greatest sermon ever preached, right? Um, now, Paul, I think for him would be the, the greatest philosophical dissertation on spiritualism, which, again, a side note, if you look at the, the evangelistic journey of Paul, it's the only place he didn't start to work his first time was Mars Hill because he defaulted to his intellect and not his his spiritual conviction hmm. because he was the smartest dude in the room. So let's give him credit there. So anyway, I digress. Back to Jesus. The entire Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he's systematically dismantling what came before him. Right. And he is showing them the standard of the kingdom of God or the better covenant, the new day, the right. day of the Lord. There's lots of different ways you can say it. And so what, what I feel like what, what I'm getting at here is the reason sinners were attracted to Jesus was twofold. First of all, because he actually showed them agape, right? Unconditional love, acceptance, non-judgmental, and he attacked the system, right? That made them feel those ways that that they did they didn't feel this come from mm. Jesus, but they felt it come from this system. Mm. So, you know, I want to be careful when I when I use the word church. I I personally I like I like church. Yeah. Because 
church didn't exist in the day of Jesus, right? You had the religious system, the Pharisees, Sanhedrin, right? All that stuff. And I'm not, this isn't just using semantics here. There's no church verbiage till after the cross, hmm. right? So, um, and, and I think it's mystical when, when the, the, the side of Jesus was pierced, we're told that blood and water flow. So from, from, from the feminine, blood and water flow when they give birth, hmm. and the masculine, blood and water flow from our hearts. Hmm. So Jesus, I believe, mystically was giving birth to the church, wow. which is his body, right? So to love Jesus is to love the church. So if the world hates the church, it's not the church they hate. They hate the same religious system Mm -hmm. that the people in the day of Jesus hated. We just call it and we mislabel it by a different word. Right. So I am fully convinced you offer Jesus. No one can say no. I mean, the authentic Jesus who loves unconditionally, right? No judgment, no condemnation. You are received. You are beloved. I don't see how you can resist him. Yeah. So, We've got to figure out how to represent the character and nature of yeah, Jesus. Yeah, better, better. Right? Yeah. And, and, and there's, there's, there's ways to do that. You know, I think about in the day of Jesus, well, like when you say the term sinner, okay, he's a friend of sinners. Right. Well, what do you think? Like when you say sinner, what do you think a sinner is? Right. Right? Well, you know, you guys watching and listening, what do you think a sinner is? So we all have our defaults. Um, I mean, certainly in the day of Jesus, you know, prostitutes and the drunks and, well, yeah, sinners, Right. And, and I guess those would translate to today, probably, and drug addicts. So I would just just pick your worst thing, right? Right. But in the day of Jesus, that was not, it wasn't that sinister. Like, a sinner was someone who didn't observe ceremonial law, didn't observe laws of cleanliness. So, I mean, this 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 will challenge our paradigms. So in the day of Jesus, a lot of people were sinners because they couldn't afford not to be. Hmm. They couldn't pay the temple taxes. They didn't. They didn't have the money to purchase sacrifices. So you see, man, Jesus is a friend of sinners. The, right. the Pharisees had blown the definition of sinners like through the roof. Hmm. Everybody's a sinner. If you don't do our stuff, well, we know you're a sinner. Right. Right. And a lot of the guys, they just couldn't simply just couldn't afford not to be. So uh, he's a friend of the poor. Like genuinely, he loved people. Yeah. And I feel like if the church wants to reclaim that reputation, uh, it's not like we have to reinvent the wheel. We just have to imitate what we see Jesus imitating. Yeah. Uh, but but that's a tall order because it's so anti our need for power, our need for position, our need for for being segmented and sectioned off. Right. Right. We we've got something to prove. Right. We've got ego in the way. Right. Right. Jesus didn't wrestle with ego. Oh well, or if he did, he overcame it rather quickly. Right. And so that's the pattern we have to follow. Why do you think that it's uh, again? I'm, I'm asking these questions where I feel like there's almost no answer for. Like, why do I think? Because right. I, I hate when I get these questions. Like, well, if this is true, then why did the church teach it? Like, I have no idea why they went off the deep end and taught it like this. Right. But I, I think you, uh, you know, I hundred percent believe you're right. If we could display the true nature of Christ in those things, and especially attack the things that Jesus was focused on attacking there. I think that would make Jesus obviously much more... I could just look at it from myself. I wasn't a Christian my entire life. I got saved when I was 17 and 18 years old. But when when the position or the proposition, the offer, so quote-unquote, came to me to accept Jesus as, as, as my Savior or to make a covenant, an agreement that this guy did exist, that he is the Son of God, that he rose three days later, that it was somewhat attractive to me. I think every single one of us needs that to kind of start us off. Like Jesus needs to look attractive. And I know that sounds like you don't have to fluff Jesus, but you don't. I think religious has decorated Jesus in a way that makes him unattractive, right? Mm-hmm. Where if the nature of Jesus shows, like I look at David with Goliath, right? David just didn't stumble onto the battlefield and go, hey, 
You know, I want to fight this guy. This guy is like, this guy was like, wait a second. I get the girl. I get the land, right? I get the power. And he asked twice. He's like, this is what will happen to me. God I, I, one doesn't want you to not take care of you, right? right? And so I think making God more digestible to people, mm-hmm. in truth, not compromise, right. digestible to people, which is really his true nature, is going to go a long way mm-hmm. than that. But why? where did this go awry? Where, like, people? Is it just arrogance? Is it just pride? Because the, the, Jesus is the answer, but people don't want to eat what we're what we're serving. Right, right. Well, that's a great question. I mean, there's there's probably more layers than we can address. Right, sitting yeah. here in, in our time together, but I feel like at some point we we just continue to develop religious systems. Uh, where, wherever that departure began to take place, we started to elevate intellectualism. You know, um, so one of my mentors uh, used to say that he he used to talk. He wrote a book called The Seven Deadly Sins, and 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 these were actually sins that he said were prevalent in the church. And and he said even amongst your kingdom guys, like your guys that are really stretching forward, he said one of the things they have to guard against is is Gnosticism. He said they they started to worship knowledge Mm. above the power of the spirit, and and it really concerned him when he was writing about these things. And so I feel like that's probably a big part of it. Yeah. Um, it's and, true though. That's a true statement. It right, really is. Right. And so we'll, we'll elevate knowledge. We, we, we start disregarding experience, which again, I don't, I don't think you build do- doctrine necessarily on experience, right. but you can't, they, you can't negate what experience does within community. Right. Like when we talk having heart connection, that is not you telling me how much you know, right? <laughs> yeah. There's actually the sharing of life. There's this authenticity that can only be found in the in the experiential connection there, right? And so institution doesn't do that. They don't even want that, right? Why would I do that? You know, I I, I know enough. I don't need to know you. I know enough stuff. Uh, and so as as we build the institutions, the authentic Jesus is lost very quickly. Um, and, and then if we have really bad views of scripture, really bad, we have no covenant perspective of scripture. We have no understanding of the heart and nature of God. And like I said, there's, there's so many layers of it. Um, but I feel like and with some grace here, I feel like most people don't have nefarious intentions. They're teaching what they believe is right in the moment. Right. And, and a lot of times don't even stop to question does yeah. that even look like Jesus? Because I found, and, and, and I don't know how, how you do it, but I, I, I'm here more than ever. Before I say something, before I, especially before I teach something, is this going to reflect the heart and nature of Jesus? Right. And if it doesn't, I've got to pause and retract my steps and re-examine what I'm about to say, or, or especially teach. Yeah. Because if, if I believe someone's going to walk away believing what I'm about to share, it better point to Jesus. Or what's the point? I mean, honestly, what's the point? We just close right. up shop and go home. Right. You know? What is your take on the difference? Because I, I've, I've heard this term. I like this term, although it's a scary term because it is a controversial statement to make, where we have left the worship of Jesus to begin to worship the Bible. Yeah. Right. Bible worship versus Jesus. Where people are like, well, how, how is that even different? Well, I think it's extremely different in right. many different ways. And right. I don't, again, I don't want to point the finger always like, oh, it's a lack of teaching, but it really, it really is. It really, really is. So you look at even the, the figures in the Bible, right? the characters in the Bible, the people that mm-hmm. lived in the Bible, the recorded stories of the Bible. There's only one that's perfect. Right. That's Jesus, right? Um, but everybody else kind of feeds both. And that's why I feel like people naturally draw more towards those people than even Christ. Christ is hard. 
Because to live that life where you are completely forgiving and turning the other cheek, like it's so simple, yet it doesn't feed the flesh. Where if you look at somebody in the Old Testament like uh, like Elijah, he feeds both. Right. There's a spiritual element, but they're also getting theirs. You know what I'm saying? And you could find many stories like that in, in the scripture. And our church here, we joke about this all the time. Mostly I joke about it. Everybody rolls their eyes at me when I talk about Elijah. You know, but um, you, you, when, when I read the story of Elijah, we're talking about a, a wicked human being that God was using in many different ways to the point where he could not control his flesh and had to remove his mandate on him and give it then to Elisha to finish the job that God had intended. Right. Um, and I'm reading that and I get encouraged because I'm like, man, I'm jacked up too. And this is not to say I'm better than Elijah. I was like, man, this is so encouraging that God could use this. But the church likes these double, these, these kind of fleshly and spiritual humans that God has used in scripture where we've turned the gospel into creating Moseses and Elijah's and Joshua's and David's. Mm-hmm. And we've left the heart of trying to develop Jesus's, right? right. And this is, this is so much on to what you just said, where it's, where it's like, does it point to Jesus? I think people feel like it's equally as important just to point them to the Bible than it is to Jesus. Well, I'm teaching Elijah. Mm -hmm. I'm teaching Ezekiel. I'm teaching Isaiah, right? But yet Isaiah was pointing to Jesus and Mm -hmm. and, and Elijah was pointing to Jesus and and Moses was pointing to Jesus and yet you're pointing to them. Right. And that's what they're doing. Don't look at me. Yeah, don't look at me. Go this way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Basically, he's the point of 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 even my imperfections and my mess ups. Right. He he's going to be the finish line. So why would you start back here with me when you can be at the finish line with exactly? Them, yeah, right? exactly. I mean, like it is so interesting. Like Elijah and Moses. I mean, we know they were the crowning achievements. They 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 represent the law and the prophets. Yep. Right. Everyone had deeply ingrained respect for those two figures. Mm-hmm. But in light of Jesus, they're found severely wanting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to the point where Jesus calls it. You, you talk about throwing Moses under the bus. I don't come to accuse you. Your accuser is Moses. <laughs> He's the one. What? Or, you know, he doesn't necessarily accuse Elijah so much directly, but when his own disciples want to call down fire on Samaria, he's like, y'all don't even know what spirit you're of. Yeah. Like, y- y'all, y'all think I do things that way? Right. Y'all. Seriously, I thought you guys were my bros here, you know? Uh, and so I think that also feeds into the graciousness of who Jesus is. He doesn't discount our role to play in our imperfection, in our mess-ups. Um, so he, in other words, we're still in the family, right? right? But he, he's he's the high priest of the royal priesthood. Right. He's the king of the, the little kings. He's the Lord of the lords. And so it all has to point to him. Or again, what's the point? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. That, but that's where I think where the teaching comes in, right? Because you read scriptures like that, and he, he told Moses the accuser. You got Elijah. He, he and he did. He rebuked the apostles for wanting to be like Elijah. Yep. So these bring up questions. And again, for me, not coming from a saved quote unquote background, right? Uh, most Christians say, "Oh, you haven't caught the revelation yet." That's why you're thinking like this, right? Right. But anyways, the Book of Revelation, or just no, revelation no, just general. revelation in general, oh, okay. right? Because right. you have to read it through the Holy Spirit, and okay. sometimes that means just leave your brain to the side to right. people, right? Right. But. When when they see that, they go, yeah, yeah, because God was doing a new thing. But then at the same time, right? So like Elijah was all of God, and now Jesus, the, he, now the apostles want to do the same thing Elijah did. Jesus is saying, no, no, you have no idea what spirit you're from. But Jesus is now doing a new thing, and now we're trying to say, well, this is of God and this is of God. And now we're saying, I see what you're saying. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right. And so your brain, and I believe everybody's brain, doesn't compute this. 
And most people just literally throw it away. Just like, God will do what God will do. You know, God will do what I will do. Instead of taking the tact of, well, again, what I believe the truth is, is that when I say the Bible is the literal word of God, or I believe everything in the Bible, I make this statement with this way. I don't believe everything in the Bible is prescribed. Like God's not in heaven with a prescription going, all right, you do this, you do this, you do this. But Elijah actually did these things and it was recorded. That's what makes it true. It doesn't make all of his actions true. true. David sending his best friend to the front line so he could sleep with his wife was not a God-hearted, intended motive. Right. That was David's flesh jumping up yeah. in the way. But right. because it happened, it makes it true. Right. Then when we get to yeah. Jesus, and when you take Jesus, and it's almost like you use Jesus as the magnifying glass and look at all the stories that we read in the Old Testament— to me, it clearly shows the faults of these people. And I'm, again, I'm not slamming. These are great men and women of God that we have mentioned in Scripture. But I think this idol worship of Elijah and Paul and them is causing a big problem in there because it wraps up in the the idol worship of the Bible over Jesus. We worship the book over Jesus, right. if that makes any sense. Explaining. Well, I mean, so— when you when you meet someone who doesn't know the Lord, right? What what's your expectation? You want them to become what? Uh, we'd say Christian, and, and so you know, Christian. It's a Christ follower, a follower of the way is what right. it's supposed to be. Um, but mo- I don't say I, I don't want to claim percentages. I just want to make this. It's going to be offensive, no matter how, how I make the statement. <laughs> but but well, Moses is ugly, ma- fat, and stuff. No, 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 <laughs> many believers are Biblians and not Christians. So they follow the Bible, but not Jesus. Right. And, and, and I know that's a loaded statement. Yeah. But again, let me help us out. Matthew 5, Jesus starts challenging established scripture, right? You've heard it said, but I say. Right. And actually what he's doing, he's overturning the foundation of the law is what he's doing. Uh, or or uh, the, the actual phrase is lex talionis. So it's the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth narrative. Uh, and so... If, if Jesus esteemed Scripture to the level many of us do today, which many, uh, we, we elevate to the level of deity. Yeah. You know, uh, we joke in, in the South, if you can't pick that up in my accent, I don't, I don't think I've got much of an accent, but anyway. Um, our, our Trinity is Father, Son, Bible. We got rid of the Holy Ghost a long time ago because he's way too scary, right? You can't predict him. So it's Father, Son, Bible. Um, and, and so when you elevate it to that status, then you're forced to defend it especially in areas where we can't explain. And then we make up erroneous, messed up doctrines where we, 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 we basically tear apart Trinity, right? I mean, we, we pit the father against the son. A lot of us, that's what we did on Easter Sunday, right? Because, you know, God wanted to kill humanity. Jesus intervened and got in the way. And so God kills him, which sounds for some reason, sounds like that's okay right? right. to spare us at least. Uh, And so we put ourselves in all these really weird positions, but Scripture is not deity, right? right? Um, you know, if you open up John, the Gospel of John, start at John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. Hmm. The Word was God. He's not talking about a volume. He's not talking about what's on your coffee table right now. Right. You keep reading. It's talking about Jesus manifest in the flesh. He is the Word of God. Yep. Um, again, I, I love my Bible, but yep. if it doesn't point me to Jesus, then it's a great it's a great book to have on the coffee table, but ultimately it's not going to lead me to life. Yeah. So what do we do? I, I think maybe what you're getting at some of these problematic, especially pictures and images of God in the Old Testament. You have to see them through the image of Jesus. Yes. yes. Because Jesus actually informs Scripture. 
It's not the other way around, right? Right. Jesus informs scripture. So we go back in the Old Testament and we see these images that don't look like Jesus. Uh, we were talking about this on the way over here. We have an obligation and a duty as ministers of the gospel to challenge those images, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, I, I've heard it throughout ministry, you know. Um, well, I don't know if I can love a God that, you know, wants, you know, the the army to go and kill men, women, children, animals without discrimination. Right. What do you say to that? Oh, well, his ways are higher than our right. ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But God is love. Of course. Yeah. He's He's always and he, loving. And he created every, right, yeah. Until you don't love him back and then... Then he's not going to say, yeah. Uh, and, and so, okay, well, I have to challenge that image if it doesn't look like Jesus. Uh, and again, in, in that statement, I'm not elevating different levels of deity. They're all the same, they're all one. Yeah. That's, I, th- I think part of what we need is a, just a fresh revival of Trinitarianism. We just need to get back to Father, Son, Holy Spirit are one and the same, self sacrificial. Come on, serve yep. one another. Yep. They also invite us to the dance. So it's not like they're just being themselves and, and they're not centered on us as well. They're other-centered, sure. which is how love works. Love needs an object mm. for love to be realized and experienced. Mm. That's why they create. That's why the Godhead created humanity, was so they could have an object of affection outside of themselves, mm. right? And so... Jesus informs these distorted images of who God is. Right. You know, and there's, I've got references right here. I didn't even know we're going to talk about this. Hebrews 1 3. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Right. Uh, So if there's anything, I, I say this all the time, if there's anything we believe about God that doesn't look like Jesus, we're missing something. Right. He's not missing it. We're, we're, we're missing it. We're missing it, right? And, and so for me, I can't tell you the relief that brought me. Because again, growing up in ministry, my, my, you know, my dad was a pastor. Uh, the people that you administer to, and you're trying to minister the heart and love of God. But in the back of your mind, you're like, you know what? He's still got a dark side. Yeah, yeah. And, and we got to be careful because, man, he, you know. If you, if you cross the line, and I don't, I don't know why. I guess as a teenager, that that phrase about his cup of wrath. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, man, God's got a cup, and <laughs> so, so you're always wondering when will that next offense tip it over the edge, right? And then all of a sudden, this God that you know is loving. You know, a, a friend of mine says that uh, his name's Jason Clark. He's like, listen, if God is 99 percent good and one percent bad, he can't be trustworthy mm-hmm. because as God. So you're talking the creator of the universe, ruler of all things. If there is a 1% where he just lets us have it and and blasts us to oblivion, well, how can I trust him? Because right. he's got the upper hand always. Right. Right? And so, again, but we have to have the guts to challenge those images yep. and, and allow their meaning to come through the revelation of Jesus. Yeah. And we can see how far we've gone. When we look at all, like you go in a straight line, if you turn a half a degree every 10 steps, eventually you're going to get to a place you never intended to go. Right. It looks straight down here, but the further you go out. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's what we've done with with God, right? It's a little bit, a little bit. How could we justify this? How do we justify this? You know, how do we justify this? And then all of a sudden we created this image of Jesus. Right. That is nowhere near who Jesus is. Or, or or if we if we could just say, I don't have to defend. See, that was that was another thing that blew my mind one day. I mean, this was years ago. I was, let's see, um, many years ago, 18, 19. I was really big into apologetics. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not knocking apologetics, but it gets a little exhausting, mm-hmm. right? Because you're you're trying to defend scripture from philosophical viewpoints, all these different things. And 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 
at one point, my spiritual father, he was like, you know, I'm proud of you for what you're doing, but I just want to remind you, you don't have to defend scripture. <laughs> I was like, I don't. He's like, no, God knows how to defend himself. He said, but uh, most of the time we're not listening to the defense or we're, we don't see the defense. And, and then I began to understand later on in life, the only thing God defends is his heart. Now, the way he defends it, it's not war. He defends it by exposing it for what it truly is. The, the heart of God is exposed or defended by the person of Jesus, mm. right? Because again, Jesus, when he shows up, I mean, the whole uh, idea of the Father throughout Old Testament, no man can see God and live. Right. The whole nation of Israel believed that. You go back and read Exodus 18 and 19, even though God never said it, they still believed it. Right. Jesus shows up and says, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right. <laughs> Wait, but no no man can see God and live. I don't know why y'all even believe that, Yeah. but if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right. So always redeeming the narrative. And, you know, we again, we, we rightly quote, but we wrongly apply. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We don't actually believe that because we still try to separate who God is. Hmm. So, okay, the God of the Old Testament appears to be the same yesterday, today, but Jesus, oh, we love him, and he's the same. We've got to make sure they stay together. Together, yep. Because they're not separate. Right. The last time I checked, we're not pantheist. Right, yeah. Guys? Right. right. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> so. No, 100% yeah. right. right. Yeah, 100%. But that's where that separation, that's where I was going, was that, you know, when you see this wrathful God, it look, and we, it, when we when we come to the realization that this, the God that we believe in, that God is A, B, C, D, looks nothing like Christ has described in the Bible, what is our response to that? Do we just let it be? Do we just let it go? Because you're right. We have all these images of God that look completely different than what Jesus is or look completely different than God. If you took 10 people off the street right now and lined them up in here Mm -hmm. and go, today we're going to talk about Jesus Christ. Right. Five of them might go, awesome. Three might go, oh my gosh. Right. You know? But why? It's because everybody's image of the Jesus that they know, taught, or what they think they've experienced is all completely different. Right. And so how do we how do we sift that? Mm-hmm. There has to be a way that goes ab- above our dreams, revelations, thoughts, our wants, our desires, our politics, our culture, our morals, our everything. Mm-hmm. And that's why Jesus, there has to be an anchor. There has to be something that's greater than us that la- allows us to sift that. Right. Well, uh, not to be oversimplistic, but, and, you know, I don't want to disappoint, but sometimes that's just where we have to go. Um, it, agape is is where it starts, and I believe it's where it ends. And, and there's lots of grace in, in the journey, but you have to lead with agape. Yeah. So unconditional, one-way love, no strings attached, because that is ultimately what made Jesus attractive. So, so we think a certain message makes Jesus attractive. The messages are great. I, I mean, I've devoted my life to to teaching and sharing the gospel. But beyond the message, they've got to have an encounter with love. Right. The only way they're going to have it is that I show them right. what agape is. For some, it's received quickly. For others who are still on the fence, it may take a while. And that's why a lot of times, especially in the West, we have issues with this because we want microwave results. But love is not microwave right? Love is its process. God is process. Right. I, if there's one thing I could change about the nature of God, just from my own selfishness, it's that. Another image of God. It's so, right. <laughs> I, I'm, I'll create another idol. <laughs> right? Fast because, food so, Jesus. Right. Because let's think about it. In the, in the life and ministry of Jesus, 
the Jews were being tremendously persecuted. Yeah. Right? Roman oppressors, it's terrible. Their expectation is uh, uh, basically that when God manifests, the Messiah comes, he's going to overthrow our oppressors, rescue us, and he's going to usher us into his kingdom. And what does God do because his heart is process? Baby. I'm going to I'm going to manifest as a baby. <laughs> what? Are you are you serious? That's that, Yeah, you got to wait 33 <laughs> years of this bad boy to get oh, better. And, and by the way, those of you that wanted him to come the most are the ones that are going to hate him the most. Yeah. Because he's going to turn on you guys because he's going to call you out for for, for, for heart. what you're doing, right? Because I mean, you, you think about it um you know, these guys were given Ten Commandments in Exodus 19, and before before we can make it anywhere near the actual life and ministry of Jesus, they add over 600 additional laws because their whole system was whoever has the most rules wins. Right, right. <laughs> and, and they turned it into a money-making machine. Somebody needs to hear this right now. Yeah. I think it's interesting, you know, within the proximity of this podcast, we're not far away from, from Easter weekend that's behind us now, but, yeah. you know, we... But the week before, we talk about Palm Sunday, the, the triumphant procession, right there within proximity. He goes straight into the house of the Lord, straight into the yep. temple, and starts turning over the system, the system that they had made in his name. Right. Right? Uh, it was a system. Let's be honest. It created more sinners than anything else. Yeah. was their own religious order. So uh, the problem's not sinners. It yeah. never has been. Yeah. Sinners are a cakewalk for Jesus. The problem is the church... Well, or the religious establishment concerning what they think about sinners, right? And then we masquerade it as the work of Jesus when it's actually the work of a, of an idolatrous, or I, I call it the moral idol of the Old Testament, mm. because the the God many of us worship through the lens of the Old Testament is not God; it's a moral idol. What do you mean by that? that, that open that up. Open that up a little bit. <laughs> like, let me kind of pull up a note here. Yeah, this, go ahead. like I said, this is like fresh out of the oven here. <laughs> okay, so. Um, okay, so here we go. The Pharisees had God all figured out. Yeah. Okay. They observed, and rather poorly, I might add, they observed the Ten Commandments. Yeah. And then they added 600 plus rules on top, you know, for good measure. Right. Um, and so what, what, what was born from that was a moral standard weaponized by the law that not only reinforced like those surface level cleanliness laws and behavior modification. That's what the law was all about. Right. It, it didn't do anything with heart condition. It was just make sure on the outward that you're acceptable and you're in. Okay. And we, uh, we literally deal with the same thing today. We still do it today. Say exact same thing. Yeah. But then it also creates this needed separation between those who keep the law and those who don't. Right. Right, because religion, again, I'm not talking about the church. The yeah. authentic church is beautiful and has the heart of God. Yeah, we could just stamp that across the top of this we, podcast, please, right? Yes. We love the church. Love the church. The religious system masquerading as the yeah, church yeah. is where our biggest problem yeah. is. Because you talk about misrepresentation, right. that's it. I love my kids too, but when they're sick, they got to go to the doctor. Exactly you right. Know? And so the religious order, they need separation. They need to have those that keep those who break, so we can keep everybody in check, right? right? And so we can also know who's honorable among us. You know, it's interesting, um, uh, again, on that, the Sermon on the Mount, which I uh, probably reference uh, a few more times while we're together, um, that when they talk about, you know, those verses there where it talks about the wolves 
that are in sheep clothing yeah, yeah, yeah. and they go about deceiving. Man, I when I found this out, I thought it was the coolest, nerdiest Bible thing. <laughs> um, so if you go and you read the Septuagint, when it talked about Elijah, it says that he wore um, a, a mantle of melatonin is, is the way it's it's uh, written, I think, in the Hebrew melatonin, something like that. But it's actually translated as sheepskin mantle. Right. Hmm. So the practice of the day. So let's say you were in the school of the prophets of Elijah. Okay. You wore sheepskin mantles to identify with his prophetic school. Okay. And so even in the day of Jesus, those people that were flowing in the school of the prophets wore sheepskin so they could be identified publicly as those who were practicing the prophetic, however you want to put it. The Pharisees and the scribes wore long flowing robes. We see this in Timothy. Right. Because they wanted to be noticed from their outward appearance. They So you see the long robes coming. You get the best table at the restaurant. You get the best seat at the theater. And, and again, I want to remind everybody watching and listening, these are the most respected men mm. in that day. Now, we we harp on them because we have perspective. If you and I were there 2,000 years ago, we'd be respecting them, wanting to be like them, Mm, okay? Right. So then, okay, there's now false messiahs starting to emerge, right? And then Jesus says out of his own mouth, there'll be those who will come to you, they're wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. Mm. So I believe, this is something to think about. The scribes figured out, well, if we show up in our long robes, he's been rebuking us this whole time. So maybe we'll leave the robes at home and we'll find some sheepskin mantles to put on. And then we'll have our way to get into the inner circles, and then we can start spreading heresy. Mm. Then we can start letting them, because basically their message was, we're the Messiah. So we missed that. Yeah. Contextually, they're they're trying to tell people, I'm the Messiah. I've got a revelation of who God is. Right. And typically the revelation, Paul picked up on it quick. He didn't miss a beat. It looked like, why are you, you can't eat of that. You, you can't do that. You can't wear that. It all echoes the Old Testament. Right. And we missed that. Yeah. We think Antichrist spirit, and all of our crazy stuff we've come up with right. is about this future person. Anyway, I don't want to go into all that nonsense. <laughs> but Antichrist spirit is any spirit that tries to combine the old and the new That's together. Right. Mixture, yep. Paul had no patience for it whatsoever. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah. so we'll continue. So by the time Jesus arrives on the scene, okay. God in the flesh, most people that he encountered figured they knew who God was too, Right. And, and who do they know God to be? It's whatever God that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the whole old covenant order had built, right? Yeah. So this is what he looked like. He's benevolent as long as you follow the rules, right? right? He's gracious as long as you follow the rules. workspace. He, he's loving as long as you love him back by following. <laughs> right, right, right. right. And so, so the God that everyone thought they knew at best appeared to be like a morally demanding idol than a familial a familial father. Right. So keep my rules and I will bless you. Keep my rules and I will protect you. Again, it's it, a moral idol. Right. But then at worst, I mean, he invoked the same desires of Moloch, right? I mean, you, one of our seminal stories in the Old Testament is Abraham and Isaac. Right. We have no problem talking about that without questioning right. some of what's going on even in Abraham's mind. We know he came from Ur. This is a land well acquainted with idol worship and human sacrifice. So when God speaks to him... Is this crazy right now? Right. Is when this, God speaks to him, this, he's this like... This is amazing right now. What, is, is this confirming this, some stuff you're talking I, this, about? I, I talk okay. about this okay. all the time. <laughs> so, so he hears God speak, and it confirms to him what he knows about gods. Right. Well, okay, he must be a god, because God's... 
like blood, I guess. I, and so he doesn't question it. So then he, he takes Isaac to be sacrificed. I mean, today we've like, this guy's mentally disturbed. There's something wrong. Right. Uh, and so the, y'all know the story. He gets up to the mountain and God intervenes. How does God intervene? By showing him who he is. Okay, you thought I was one thing, but I am not a taker. I'm a giver. And then we're told that Abraham discovers the name of God there, Jehovah, Jireh. God, my provider. All of a sudden, in that moment, Jehovah, Elohim, right? He no longer was a God among gods. In Abraham's world, this is the true and living God. Because I've never seen a God give. I mean, that right there is amazing. Yeah. I've never... Gods are jealous and they, they want to take and steal and demand. But this God... He gives, right. right? And so challenging the narrative. So then Jesus arrives on the scene. He challenges the moral idol that religion had built and revealed who God had always been. Jesus systematically stripped away the veil of the law, right? Which we put it on the face of God, right? That veil, we put it on the face of God. And what does that veil do at its most basic level? It creates this delusional chasm of distance and separation. Yep. So religion, it's interesting. Religion creates the problem and they try to create the solution as well. Right. And, the, and so the problem is now, well, because you've broken rules, you are now distant from God, but hey, we've got the prescription. You do all these things and we can help you close the gap. Right. Right. Except the goalpost always moves. Moves. Right. And you never get the gap closed. Right. And so all these things are happening. And then when Jesus shows up and I love it and it's right to preach it at Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, see, when Jesus shows up on the scene, he's not showing us a new version of God. He's showing us who God has always been. Always been, right. See, even though we believed it in our own minds, and Paul jumps on that, I love that thought, that we were enemies of God in our own minds. Mm. Jesus shows us God has never been against you. He's always been for you. And even though you weren't aware of it, he's always been with you, right? I manifest in the flesh, but we've always been here. Right. we, We are the God who never leaves or forsakes. You can take that to the bank, right? Uh, and so, again, the, there's great verses on that. The, the the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Right. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through the Lord Jesus right. Christ. Again, stripping away. Another one a lot of people just ignore that the law is the sting of death. Right. Of yeah, course, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, I mean, there's so much. I mean, Second Corinthians yeah, 3, so 14, much, right. their minds were hardened for to this day. So good. To this day when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Jesus is it taken away. Right. Again, like what we were saying earlier, don't allow Scripture to inform you who Jesus is. Allow Jesus to inform you what the authenticity, authenticity of Scripture. That's good. That's Look through good. him. Otherwise, you're going to see a veiled God. Or, like I say, we create an Old Testament idol. Right. It doesn't actually even look like God. It looks like religion. Right. Right? I like that, that when you bring up the, 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 the religion creates the problem. Yes. Then tries to create a solution for the problem. It reminds me of even, again, a little, a little off that, but same vein where we use uh, fear, <clears throat> hatred, threats to win people. Right. And then try to explain the God of love, right? It's like perfect love casts out all fear, but you use fear, hatred, vi- threats, and all that stuff. To, so how does that work, right? If yep. the, if God is this perfect love and it's th- it, it's casting out fear, but yet I'm using fear to bring you in, yep. how do you ever come in? Right. Well, so so what happens eventually is when they get exposed to love, right, then they're going to hit the door, first of all, right? They're going to be like, okay, wait a second. 
you know, I appreciate all you guys, but now that I've had an authentic encounter with love that cast out the fear you used, I got to get out of here because you guys are just baptized in fear and this isn't going to work. Right. Or the bold among them will confront you to your face. Why did you use fear when you know that God is not fear? And most of us, most don't even have that answer yeah. because they think God is fear. Yeah. They, based they, on their view of. Right. based Because uh, again, we're trying to justify images of God that are violent right. and that are retributive and that feed our justice narrative. I mean, if there's if there's anything, and there's many things Jesus taught us, he taught us that justice makes no sense, at least not according to our own perspective. Justice makes no sense in the kingdom of God. In, in terms of writing scales and all that, it right. doesn't work. Like, his way of justice is, give me all your worst, and I'll give you my best. <laughs> how is that, how is that just? Yeah. Um, forgive them. While they're committing the act, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah. How, that is not justice. Yeah. What is going on? And even, you know, there's the there's these now I want to say this, the Old Testament, there are some snapshots all throughout of the character and nature of God, of the heart of God. Like you find out what true justice is, right? You find that in the in the, the prophet. He says, true justice is to is to take care of the widows and the orphans, right? So again, trying to shift the heart of God back on course, because the way they talked about justice was retributive. Right. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Right. The heart of God is Maybe you need to take care of those who are the least among you, right? Those that can't defend themselves, and that shows more of the heart of God than the, this facade you guys have built, right? And so, while there's certainly all these challenges and misrepresentations, there's also glimpses of the heart of God. You know, you mentioned David. One of the things, and he, he again, he is one of my favorite characters, right, in Scripture, because he also had these new covenant realities. Well, I want to know who's your most hated Scripture. My most hated hated, hated Bible character. That's all. Oh I know. man. Oh, that's not even fair. Because And I don't want to you, you can't use like Nebuchadnezzar Nicodemus. Like you can't you can't use somebody that's an obvious what? one. What? What? Well, you know, it's funny the the ones I used to hate I'm I love. Just, <laughs> I know that sounds really weird, but I mean I, I, I guess it's gonna be a gimme too. I mean, like maybe you say Jezebel. I don't know. No, you can't it's gotta be you say Jezebel, that's a gimme. Okay, who are you talking about just a flawed person that God still used? Just somebody that you would just backhand across the face in heaven. I would backhand Peter, but I <laughs> but I still identify with him. See, right. that's the thing. I got you. Okay. You know, um like for, for, You for, miss Peter, just hit yourself, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Hey, slap it, keep it coming. Um, but I, I used to always have a problem with Jonah until I until I just man I just saw the heart of Jonah. Right, he he was a prophet who was a rebel. So it's like I can I can identify. Yeah, right. And and one one of the great testimonies of the book of Jonah is it shows us God's relentless pursuit of rebels. And you even see that in the life and ministry of Jesus. You ever thought about this? So the people are looking for a sign. Jesus, is like, no sign will be given to you. Wait, 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 wait. hold on. One sign. <laughs> I'll give you the sign of Jonah. Right, right. Right. Where he was three days, three, you know, in the, in the belly of a great fish. So I'll be in the, in the tomb. And then, you know, I'll, I'll be spewed back up the same way he is. He's the only prophet Jesus ever referenced by name in the Old Testament. Did you know that? No. I Go didn't. study it out. Jonah is the only one he called out by name. He, he referenced the writing of Isaiah. But right. He never, he never said, hey, Isaiah. He never said, I'm going to be like Isaiah. Okay. He references Jonah. And I was like, why Jonah? He's such a, a butthead, you know? <laughs> and, but then you realize, is Jesus still communicating to us? I relentlessly pursue rebels. So what is the work of the cross? Except he still relentlessly pursues rebels, mm. right? And so... Jonah ran from God and the grace of God. See, you talk about the, the storm of the grace of God. Sometimes the grace of God manifests as a storm. 
and it will come after you to save you from your own self-destructive behavior. You know, that's sometimes that's when we preach grace, you know, a lot of times people don't, I want the balance of grace. I, I feel like we just don't understand grace in its fullness. Right. Right. Because we know it's not a license to sin. If you read far enough into Titus, you realize it's right. redemptive. It restrains us. Right. It says that it keeps us from, um, what is it? Uh, sin and ungodliness, something like that. But then you look at, uh, there are times it manifests as a storm. There are times it manifests, um, again, as, as, as a pushing forward mechanism, right. all these different ways that it can be manifest. So, so Jonah always had a problem with, and until recently I had a problem with Judas. I, I mean, I just had to, I had to have the problem with Judas. What a numbskull he must be until I found myself in Judas too. Mm. Uh, you have to help tell me if I've shared this with you. I don't know. Um, so I was, I, I did this message called the enemy's table and uh, was just thinking about, does, does God have an enemy's table? Taking the cue from David. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemy. Right. David had no problem with enemy language. I mean, and, and, and rightly so. Contextually, he had literal enemies. I think where he missed the heart of God was he projected that they were also God's enemies. Right. Uh, but they were his. And, and so he felt by proxy they must also be God's enemies, which is another way we misrepresent the heart of God. Right. We think because someone's our enemy, they're his enemy. But if you can hear the heart of God, he says, I have no enemies, so we're going to have to go back to the drawing board here. And so that goes all the way to Judas. So the, the greatest table we see on display is the Passover table. Right. Passover table. They're all there getting ready to observe what he had taught about in great detail in, in John. Right. And, and a lot of times we miss that. So, you know, he fed the multitude. He's, he starts preaching about, well, listen, if you really want to, you know, get your fill, eat my flesh. Remember that? And, and drink my blood. Right. And the crowd, it says, they started turning on him like, oh, this is mm, so unpleasant. Because <laughs> they're hearing, I mean, this is, you're talking about like eating people. Right. Right. This is, this is gross. Right. And then I love this. And, and a lot of us ministers can take a cue from this. Jesus couldn't even rescue the crowd at that point. He even told them, no, the principles are speaking are scary. <laughs> but it was, it was too much. It was God, right? And so it's funny there. We don't even know how many disciples he had until that moment, because we're told that his there were disciples of his that left him, too, mm. at that point. So the classic 12 emerge there, mm. right? And, and so it's interesting, once he feeds the multitude, 12 baskets are left over. I believe his boys took the baskets home. Listen, you guys stuck with me. You passed this test. I know right. it was grim. It's ba- you thought I was talking about being cannibals. <laughs> Take a basket home to your family because you're going to need some strength for what's coming next. You think this is big. This is the, What's coming next it's is going to be crazy. It's a basket for your troubles. Right, right. And so gets gets there to the Passover table. And so I'm studying the enemy's table and I start doing a study on Seder. And I, I'm, I'm ministering somewhere. I just remember I was in my hotel room at midnight. Sometimes being a minister of the gospel feels like borderline insanity. Right. I mean, it does. You're studying Seder. I, I, okay. And so <laughs> studying Seder tradition, because they're at the Passover meal when all this is happening. When he's offering communion, they're also at Passover. So Seder tradition, okay, when you take the bread, you dip it in fish sauce. So he's already mentioned, whoever dips with me is going to betray me. This is outside of communion. Okay, they've already done communion. Now he's saying, whoever dips with me is going to betray me. Judas dips with him. Seder tradition, when you dip the bread into the fish sauce, you don't eat it. You hand it to somebody you love. Hmm. So then the picture, boom, hit me right square in the heart. Jesus dipped with him, handed him the bread. Even though you're going to betray me, I love you. Wow. And go, go, do, go do what you wow. have purpose in your heart to do. 
And, and to me, that, that also maybe even speaks to Jesus' leadership style. Can you imagine that kind of freedom? That even if you want to betray him, I believe he, he, he built such this environment of trust with the disciples. If you want to betray me, just go ahead and tell me. It's, it doesn't change anything. I love you. I, I, I want you. That picture does not right. make sense to no. my brain. No, right? right? It's, no. It's, 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 it's hard. That's what I'm it's the simplest thing. Right. Right. It's like the statement of just love people with no boundaries or conditions on it. Yeah. So hard. It is. It's counterintuitive. Yeah. It's self-destructive. It's non, you can't defend yourself yeah. when that is your disposition. And so Judas felt free to do what was in his heart to do, even though it was betraying Jesus. And you take that to his eventuality, man, we could, I don't know how long you want, want to go, but man, we Just could get go. in hell yeah, and all kind of stuff. Like, you know, um, don't forget. So Judas, he took communion. We, a lot of times we miss that. And, and I, I want to ask you, where do we get this weird doctrine that when we offer communion, that if you're a sinner or you have sin in your heart, you can't come and eat. Where do we get that from? Yeah, what's that verse? There's that and, verse that says if you have anything in your heart, right, or okay. if you have anything begrudging in your heart, that okay. you, you're not to take the communion. Isn't there a verse? I'm pretty sure there's a verse. Okay, right? well, I think that's where it stems no, from, anyway. Right. So how did Silliness. that? How did that turn into you can't come to the table? Yeah. Unless you're saved. Right, right. Judas was at the table, and if you want to make a real argument, none of the disciples were saved yet. Yeah. Because the work of the cross hadn't even been done yet. Right. Right? Right. So they were all eating communion. Yeah, no, I know people who I mean, refuse. They're like, oh, yeah, I still have unforgiveness towards my cousin, so I can't take communion yet. <laughs> you know. You ever wanted to betray Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, no. Well, not not, not at least my knowledge. Even if you have, you go ahead and yeah. eat, because he, he apparently didn't mind. So you think about it. Judas took communion. And then uh, we're, we're told during the crucifixion scene, once he sold out Jesus, right, uh, that when he goes to hang himself, it says he, he hung himself at the edge of Gehenna. Gehenna translated as hell. hell right. And it says that once he hung himself, uh, uh, in your audience, I know it's pretty diverse here, but I'm not going to get too graphic, but it says his, bow, it says his bowels opened up right. and the contents that were within poured out. Hmm. What were the contents? The bread and the wine. Oh, man. The bread and the wine flowed into Gehenna. I mean, so, listen... There's no place communion doesn't go. Wow. And so then that's why it's fitting for Jesus to descend into Sheol and Hades, which is the grave. And then he begins to preach a gospel message that Sheol had never heard before. Right? It says, we're, we're told he led captivity captive. He preached the gospel concerning himself, led captivity captive, took the keys of death hell in the grave. And I humbly believe he hung a close for business sign over Sheol. Mm. Right? And then he ushered all the... Listen, Judas, who was newly ushered into Sheol. Jesus like, well, it didn't take you long, but hey... You want to be with me in paradise? No brainer, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so, and, and according to Hebrew tradition, they believed everybody was there. Everybody. Really, really? Yeah. yeah. You, I mean, it's a fantastic study on hell. I mean, I know, right? Uh, fantastic, but um, they believed. <laughs> Guys, you got to read this there. book about hell. Uh, good, good, evil, indifferent. They believe the spirits of animals went there. So, right. So again, I'm not saying that's exactly what was happening. That was their understanding. That was their Sheol. understanding. I got that you. was their understanding yeah. of the grave. But then I think David probably had the most authentic understanding, at least at this part, where he said, even if I make my bed in Sheol, God, you are there with me. Right? So again, even this thought that hell is separation from God, prove it. Right. I mean, prove it. Prove that there's anything within the created order that does not find placement in him. Because if if it if it can't find placement in him, it has power unto itself, 
Right. So are we saying that hell's in competition with God? Right. Right. We we need to reevaluate hell. Yeah. I had someone. I had a dear friend of mine. I'm uh, I'm not going to name names. It's on my Facebook wall. Listen, I've got friends on Facebook, and I get it. They're not really friends. They were at a meeting, and it's just and you get an invite, and you see you got thirteen mutual friends, and so the the post was, God God is unconditional love. The next line said, Well, what about hell? And then the next line, this guy's kind of like squinting his eyes, like, oh, I didn't think about that. So the intention of the post is misleading, right? Because they're not asking the right question. Most people ask, what about hell? They should be asking, what is hell? Right, right. Because one seeks to actually discover information. The other seeks to 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 bring a reaction out, right? Right. And again, it's out of our own misunderstanding of, of the heart and nature of God. Right. So... How do you reconcile hell with the heart and nature of God? That is one of the questions I'm getting asked more now oh, yeah. than like ever. Because if you're going to preach Jesus all the way through, you have to preach him through hell. And that's another. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. You know, Jesus knew how to get out of hell. Right. He, he gives us a pattern. What do you do? You sing. You ever heard that? You, <laughs> you, you sing the hallelujah song, right? So, so Jesus sings... The song of David, Psalm 22, right? A song his father started that he didn't know how to finish. So when David starts it, you go read Psalm 22. It's a messianic psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus starts the song, right? The song David started, but only Jesus knew how to finish it. Hmm. So how does Jesus finish it? He finishes it in hell, right? So the only way to get out of hell is to sing hallelujah. Jonah knew this too. Again, go back to Jonah. It says that there was some point in the belly of the fish he came to himself. And he began to praise God. Hallelujah means God be praised. Right, right. So when Jonah was in hell, he sang hallelujah and the fish spit him out on dry ground, right? When David sang hallelujah, God rescued him from his adversaries. When Jesus sang hallelujah, hell had to spit him back out as well. So I always tell people, if you're in hell, there's only one way to get out. You don't have to, you don't have to pay penance. There's no purgatory. Just keep your hallelujah song going. Right. That's the way to get out. I love it, man. (laughs) I went all over the place. Sorry about that. No, no. (laughs) No, it's all, it's, it's, it's a lot, but it's, it's again, this conversation I think is a needed conversation to have at least to challenge and provoke thought of where we're kind of positioned right now in this world. Cause I was going to be kind of my next turn and to throw at you. I hope you don't mind we go here, no, but um, no. the, the, we have this term agape, right? It's been the theme of really what we've been talking about, this unconditional love. Because I have people say, where does the Bible say that God is unconditional love? The whole term agape in the Bible is is unconditional love, right? It may not say it in the King James Version. Yeah, right, right. But, yeah. So what does that look like, right? What is that? Because in the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned uh, a, a great point. It's like, you know, somebody who's not a Christian, they come. What are you showing them, right? Like, what's the first thing you're showing them? It's the love of God. It's that unconditional love of God. That's what draws them into the heart and nature of God. It's, but it's funny though. Like, we, it's like, we got him, we got him, we got him. They're understanding who God is. And then we show them this ugly side of God that drives them right out, right? Yeah. So, what does the unconditional love of God look like when, especially today, right? We're 2023, April, going into May, okay? Right. What does unconditional love look like to our friends? who don't vote like us in politics. Oh man. What is our go there? <laughs> what is our unconditional love like look like with this whole thing going on with gender going right. on? You know? Right. Uh male, female, people who identify as God knows what now, right? I don't even I can't keep up, right? Right. Um what does unconditional love look like uh amongst just 
bad relationships within family, unreconcilable relationships, or what looks like unreconcilable relationships in family. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like we want to believe in it. Everything about Jesus is really genuinely so attractive until you meet somebody who, what about people who hate God, verbally assault God, verbally abuse God? You brought up this great point of Judas Mm -hmm. at the table. (laughs) He's sitting there breaking bread with the person who knows betray him and opens the door out of Hades, lets him out. How do we apply that today? Wow, yeah. So the the way I describe agape, it's it's one of my favorite books, and everyone, uh, it bless your life to get a copy of it. It's called One Way Love by Tullian Chivijan. That's a mouthful. By, if you, by, if you uh, just go on Amazon and put in Tullian, usually Chivijan will pop up for you. Okay. The the uh, the subtitle of the book is Inexhaustible Grace for an Exhausted World. Hmm one-way love. And he was actually, he's, he's one of the grandsons of Billy Graham. So oh, really? that helps you give some context. Uh-huh. Brilliant communicator has had to walk through the gut-riching realities of grace. So failed marriage, all these things. He's very vocal about it all. Um, restored in grace. So that book changed my life, one-way love. And so the case that he makes when he talks about that otherworldly love, agape, he said, the love of God is one way. That's the only way it can be pure, meaning what? There's literally no strings attached. So God does not even think of terms of reciprocation, right? So now we know it's true in us. Scripture tells us we love him because he first loved us. But we, we don't need to fall into the trap of thinking that we have to love him. Because if you have to love him or you feel an obligation to love him, it's not authentic love, right? right? So that is agape, it's one-way love. Mm. I will love you even if you don't return it. I will love you, no strings attached, okay? Love and condone, same thing? No. Love and accept, love and embrace, love and not judge. What is that? You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, yeah. So, okay, <laughs> it's getting back. It's it's Okay, you love people where they are, right? But you also expose them to, to love for the, the authenticity of who they are, mm. right? So, and that's what clears through a lot of the static. You know, like right now, again, as a minister, one of the things that I'm most concerned about right now is kind of the whole, the transgender movement. Right. One of the concerns, which should always be at forefront, is how the church responds to it. Of course. And like we typically do, we're responding more with a political right. uh, answer than a spiritual uh, answer, or, 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 or it's more of a, a, a Gnostic argument, right? Listen, people don't need us to give biology lessons, yeah. because at the heart of who they are, they know what is factually true biologically, right. right? So it's funny how we'll even paint ourselves into the same trap. It's the same trap, again, Paul painted himself into at Mars Hill. He was a brilliant philosopher, but he could not touch their hearts when he appealed to their intellect. And so a lot of times that's still we're still falling in the same trap all the time. Mm. We have all these spiritual answers. So you lead with agape, you you walk in agape, and then even those places where there's there there's there's gonna be the obvious deconstruction, obvious things that are destroyed even in people's mentality and their walk, we're still there to love them through it all, right? right. But love is not passive. See, that, that's probably another thing we need to do. In redefining agape, we just need to redefine the nature of love. Right. You know, because I talk about how love conquers all. So there is something about love that it does overcome. And and, and again, um, 
one of my, my spiritual father used to say that, that love knows how to climb walls, right? He says it's like a climbing vine. So you put up whatever stone wall you want to put up, but love at some point, love's not a hammer, it's a vine. I love it. Okay? So it's going to climb up and over. Great analogy. And so what we've got to do, we have to, when we disagree, and let's say passionately disagree. Right. And, and at this point, one of the reasons I'm concerned on just a, a, a father level, I've got two young girls, right? And I was just, you know, sometimes I'll sit there and kind of role play. Okay, father, check my heart, right? If my 10-year-old daughter came to me and said, dad, I'm a boy, what's my response supposed to be? And, and you know, it's interesting. What I even heard my spirit was, you, you keep doing what you're doing. Okay, well, what am I doing? I'm always speaking identity to my kids. I've done it since day one. Right. So even even bedtime prayers, Lord, I thank you for my girls. I thank you that they're good daughters. I'm thankful that they're fearfully and wonderfully made. Right. And so when they had those questions, I'm going to go back to what I've told them their whole lives. Right. Right. You're, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. God loves you the way that you are. I love you the way that you are. Right. right. If anything changes, my love for you is not going to change. But my heart for you is going to protect you. My heart for you is going to try to gently, right? Because that's the thing. The heart of God gently has pursued all of us. Yeah. You know, now now we always identify the climax of the experience, the salvation experience. Right. But if you could track his pursuit of you, I think it'd be a, it'd be an interesting story. That would be, that, that right? would be, that's an interesting thought to think about it right. like that too. Yeah. How, how, I mean, scripturally, he was there before you were in your mother's womb. He even knew you by name. So if you could track how he pursued you, you see he got saved at 17? Yep. What you called salvation, right? Right. But that he was tracking, he was there with you the whole time. Yep. All the way up to that moment where you confessed him, right? Mm -hmm. And not realizing he had been confessing you all those years. Right. Oh, he's my son. This, this is such a great journey. I know there's been some heartache, but I'm here. Right. You know, and then you come to this revelation. And again, revelation doesn't create the thing. You know, something else we have to remember about Revelation, new Revelation. Oh, you've got all these new truths. No, Revelation doesn't create what was there. I mean, the, the term Revelation, the root words reveal. Revealing, you only reveal something that is there. Right, right. You don't, Revelation isn't making something up. Right. We're not faking this, right? Uh, and so, again, back back to how does that manifest. In cultural issues, Jesus showed us how. You lead with love, and then you have to remain in proximity. I think that's the part where we miss it. Yeah. I want you to come into my Sunday service, and you can hear a message on love, but I'm not going to live in your world the other six days of the week. I mean, what do you want me to do? You know, it, um, you know at, at our ministry, one of our ordained evangelists, they have a, a big uh, rally up in Asheville. Uh, every year, and it's a uh, LGBTQ, and now they've got so many letters. I'm not being disrespectful. I just can't remember them all anymore. Right. But they they go up, and they have a team, and all they do is minister the love of God to people. Right. And you watch them break just yeah. in the presence of. Listen, we love Jesus. Jesus loves you. Right. Because they've got the the opposite across the street. God hates fags, and you're all going to burn in hell. Sorry, Westboro, right? So, yeah. so which which one is it? Yeah. Now, see, religion would say, "Well, God hates fags because we've got proof of it in Scripture." Right, right, right. No, the heart and nature of God is we see God through Jesus, and if you if you can imagine Jesus saying or supporting such a thing, well, then have at it. Yeah. But I know that we can't. Yeah. Right. And so I think again, leading with love, baptizing in love, and living within proximity of love, because love has teeth. It it is not afraid to be challenged. Yeah. But I have to be present for it to have any substance. Yep. So if someone comes in and is like, Pastor Johnny, listen, we love you. We love Son of Heaven. But, you know, 
we're gay or we're trans or we're figuring it out. Right. Okay, we love you. Well, what if we decide to to attend here? Yeah. All of a sudden, you have an opportunity for proximity. Yeah. So what do you do? You 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 show them what community looks like yeah. and feels like. Yep. Again, instead of arguing the standard, we show them the standard. Right. So, so then we're not at the mercy of an argument. Yeah. We're showing them what community looks like. Right. This is what love looks like. We're going to walk with you through this, whatever that looks like, you yeah. know, and there's, and, and for some of this stuff, there's no easy answer. Right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Right? Um, but I, I just submit that's how we, that's how we should lead. Yeah, and none of this. Yeah. I think where we, you know, I think of a squirrel, right. Cornered yeah. and how it responds. Right. I think that's how we sometimes respond as Christians out of fear. We make really bad decisions when we're fearful of something. And I think, number one, I think one of our – and this is my just my opinion on this and love to get your feedback on it. I think we've taught sin completely wrong. I think we've made sin like the big bad boogeyman, the right. big bad monster, instead of just error, mm-hmm. a right. mistake, a miss the mark, right. uh, get back up, right. pull out the other arrows, the thing I use all the time. Take an hour out and just shoot again. If you miss, take another hour out and shoot again. The great thing about the grace of God, there is no end of arrows, right? right. You, you always have another shot. I think of you know, Robin Tights. Robin gets another shot. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, added in there. <laughs> yeah, I had to. I had to. I was giving Mel Brooks in there, right? Uh, but you know, I think that number one, we teach sin wrong, and the second part about it is is that we, when we act in fear, we try to live in this make believe world that everything is going to go perfect, and if it doesn't go perfect, it's not of God, right? You know as well as I know. You have children. I've got children. They're going to struggle with uh some form of sex right they're gonna struggle just like me and you Mm -hmm. they're gonna struggle with temptation just like me and you they're gonna be involved in party scenes and uncontrollable things just like me and you they're gonna all of these different types of things where i think sometimes we miss the mark as christians is we try to protect we think protecting them is trying to remove them from those things and i think it's a big mistake i think it's a mistake because the inevitable is going to happen and they're not going to know how to respond in situations like that um so i think that the best way to do it is one like just even something as simple as anger right and short temperedness i want my kids to be able to to feel the emotions of anger and then learn how to control the anger I want them to be able to understand that this is actually what goes on in this world, but we don't have to respond like this or do things like this. Mm-hmm. And what, even with my 10-year-old man, uh, who's my oldest now, uh, we have conversations or we talk about things that, I mean, I remember my dad or, or my parents having conversations. Well, me, my growing up, I was a little bit younger as well too, but 11, 12, 13. Right. You know, but most normal people, I'm talking 15, 16, 17, you know, years old, and I'm having these conversations at 10. He's telling me my friends said this or my friends did this. Right. You know, we just had, a, actually, we just had an incident with my, with my, my son, uh, my oldest son in school. He cursed at school at a kid, like, and he... And he dropped, and but this is where I think of the difference here. He actually he dropped the, the curse at school towards a kid at ten years old, and right away, and like this, and the kid told on him, and then LJ was he was hysterical crying, like he knew he messed up, right? And so the, when the teacher called Rach, my wife, she he said she said to him, um, I'm sorry, she said to to her, like, listen, I'm going to tell you this. She goes, but please be light on him because he felt so bad, like. I don't need to come in and crack his legs down either, e- anymore, right? right? So Rach had a conversation with him. I came home. She told me what happened at school. I think he was upstairs getting ready for the shower. I walked upstairs and I had a conversation. I'm like, hey, I was like, LJ, I was like, mom told me what happened at school today. And right away, he's like, <laughs> and his whole count has changed. I was like, 
you know, you did something wrong, right? He's like, yep. I was like, you know what we do from here? He's like, I'm not going to do it again. I don't have to tell him because we've raised him a certain way. Like, and it's just like, hey, we don't have to use language like this if we don't, you know what I'm saying? If we don't need to. But also, it goes into Christians don't have a, a way to properly, again, my opinion, express themselves. Mm-hmm. They're not taught to express yourselves in, in a proper way. Right. Um, so it's like, hey, we don't have to communicate with people like this, mm-hmm. but we can communicate like this. Mm-hmm. Or we can do this in this way. Or we can. Like, when you're growing up and you're taught all these sexual things are sin, mm-hmm. but you have no sexual outlet or healthy sexual dialogue or sexual ways to to release or have conversation like that, what do you think happens when you get caught in a moment uh, of, 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 I mean, right. and that, and that not having those outlets like that, we're talking about, you could just lead to pregnancies at 14, 15, 16 years old, complete rebellion away from God, thinking God views and looks at, these are major problems that we are not handling right, that are very simple, but it makes us uncomfortable. And, and that goes with the same homosexual thing. It's just, yeah. these things make most people uncomfortable. And they don't have these conversations, right? Um, Right now, the, with the with the, the the transgender thing and the gay thing and all that stuff, my kids will ask me tons of questions about that, and we'll have tons of dialogue about that. So they're never going to get into it. It's honestly one of the reasons why I have all my kids in jujitsu. Right. God forbid they ever get into an interaction where they have to fight or defend themselves. But even beyond that, when you're feeling scared or nervous or fearful that you know what to do, you've been in this situation before because I placed myself in that situation before many of times. All my kids compete in jujitsu and they're talking about, you know, you're walking on a platform, even though there's multiple matches going on, but you're in an arena with 500,000 people screaming, joke them, take them down. You know, it's intimidating. Right. And they walk in, it's just one-on-one, you win and you lose. And losing is so much better than winning because you learn so much about yourself and about what your makeup is. Is that like, I've watched my daughter Zoe, my oldest daughter, who um, is very emotional. She's very, she's everything's drama, right? Typical, typical girl stuff. But the confidence from something like that, and I attribute it to, she puts herself in that situation. So I'm bringing that back to this for this reason. We have conversations. We don't shy away from conversations. Mm-hmm. Obviously, with like media, video stuff, we try to block out as much as we can, but we're not running away from every little thing because, right. you know, my, you don't think my 10-year-old's friends are cursing? If you don't think that these 10-year-olds aren't cursing right now, left and right, then you have no idea what 10-year-olds are doing right now, yeah. you know? So, hey, listen, this is what's going on here. This is what's going on here. This is what's happening here. You know, again different dialogues different aspects it's just i feel like that open dialogue even at these young ages start to develop people with mm-hmm. that so mm-hmm. you know with that being said i feel like a lot of people that don't that don't run to god believe in god love god i feel like we've not created healthy environments for people to truly express their deepest fears worries concerns mm-hmm. you know you feel gay or you feel like that's a struggle or you feel like this is something that you want or i mean let's take it even a step further if you feel like killing people like, what have we done to foster an environment where we could cut that off to find out why? Have we created safe environments where somebody could pull you aside and go, I'm struggling tremendously right now. I need help. Yeah. I don't want to live or I don't want to do, you know, that's a shame when they're not going to the church for those things and people that represent Jesus Christ, uh, the one who created them uh, of those things. And so those environmental, th- th- that environment, I think, needs to be fostered and and, and generally created. Even you know, share a quick story here with the the whole Black Lives Matter, the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. 
that's so crazy because you know you see this thing start out in, in some of a, a very genuine type of way for equality, but at the same time turns very political at the same time. Yep. And now we're sitting here like four year olds arguing, well, this one matters and that one matters and this one matters and this one matters. Yeah, we get it, but right now let's focus on this. I remember going around every member of my church. I was a member of, uh, of the black community and going, how are you feeling right now? Mm-hmm. How are you feeling? Because I, d- I wasn't understanding completely. But I need to know how you feel because whether I get it or not, it's irrelevant. I want to make sure that when you look over your shoulder, you know I'm there supporting you. Yeah. And I'm fighting for you and I'm fighting for equality for you. And whatever I have to do, I'm going to do it right next to you. Um, and I just feel like that's the approach to the best that we can anyways that Jesus would take to these things. And I really feel like that's the approach that draws people up to Christ. And when you open people up to Christ, he sets people free, man. Yeah. Yeah. He does that. We don't do the change. He does the change. He does the transform. He changes mindsets, thoughts, feelings. I don't know. What are your thoughts on, uh, you know? Well, there, there's a lot there. I mean, first of all, I don't see the case for Jesus speaking to a person's sin. Okay. And, and, and let me just open that up a little bit. Um, now, the Pharisees were huge on that, like all the time. That's all they did. But then, but then we, we'd have, it's like almost had this freedom, like, hey, you can be angry. Just don't. Sin, but sin not. But so sin wait, not. there's right, there's right. way wait there's ways I can do something that at surface level appears to be sinful, but there's a way I can do it where it's not sin. And so it's understanding what sin is. You right. Know? So the the way I was trained, in it sin's the result of a mistaken identity. You don't know who you are. And so typically, where behavior becomes sin is we allow the behavior to speak to who we believe we are. Interesting. So being angry is not sin. If I start believing I'm an angry person then that is starting to affect my identity gotcha. as a beloved son or a beloved daughter of a good father. Stru- struggling with different things is not sin. Right. It's starting to allow those things to speak to my to value you. and right. worth. Right. That becomes a mistaken identity. And that's Jesus redeemed us from all that. He redeemed us from the curse of sin. He, re- You know, let's think about the only authentic message we have about sin is that Jesus conquered sin. He dealt with the sin problem. Right. That's it. Anything, if talking about sin does not cure sin, right? And, and that's something we have yet to learn, especially in the evangelical church. All right. We think preaching against sin somehow cures sin. All it does is make it break out more, yeah, right? Yeah. Because actually, a lot of times what we're doing, we're just giving the saints ideas for other stuff to do. In right. Life, <laughs> right. Um, and, and so how we identify and deal with it, I think, is huge. Um, and so we, we've got to stop chasing after these fruit issues, and we've got to start identifying root issues. And all the root issues oh, go back to the heart and nature of who God is. Who has God said that you are? It What what environment is it okay to, to act this way? See, religion builds these environments of condemnation. Yeah. And that's where the fear comes in. Right. Right? Oh my gosh, how in the world could I confess this to my pastor? Because what? He will think this way about me, or he will do this to me. Right? So we've already built this contract. Even if, let's say Sound of Heaven, and I believe is there's no condemnation here, right? But there are still people that can carry that, that system, and they still assume that's just how life is. Right. Well, listen, if you're a part of church especially, there, there's going to be condemnation, right? Yeah. And so we've got to break the back of that. Yeah. Right? That's all attached to the law. It's all attached to religious construct. Yeah, and on a side note, that starts with the leadership because it Absolutely. doesn't matter what me, Rachel, and our leadership team here believes, if 15 people with that mindset walk in, we have a culture problem going Absolutely. on. You know, so. yeah. And you, and you have to have the grace to address it in love, right? Right, And then within proximity, prove it. Yeah. Because that's really what proximity does. Right. Okay, I love you. But when, when I hang around for a month, I get to feel what that love 
actually looks like. Right, right. right. One thing to say it, another thing to feel it. Right. So an- another example, which which I love, is the woman caught in adultery. Okay. Well, okay. We assume she was, because if you you go back and read the story, <laughs> the requirements of the law that her and the man were supposed to be brought before the the, the religious leaders. Mm-hmm. So where's the man? That's the question religion never can answer. Okay. Women always have it worse than men. Right. Doesn't even matter. You pick any religion you want. Right. It's not just Christianity. It's Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, all of it, right? Women always get the worst end of the deal, unless Jesus shows up. Then Jesus dignifies women as well, because that's the heart nature of God. So anyway, I'm getting on a rabbit trail. So they bring just the woman. So they already know they're not observing the law. And, and we're even told that their intentions were, were nefarious to start with. It's, right, we're told, we have the context there in those verses is interesting. They, they were doing this to see if they could trip up Jesus on something, <laughs> which I'm like, good luck. Because <laughs> Jesus usually can answer your questions that you don't even ask. Right. He, he'll answer questions you ask internally, like he did in the Pharisee's house, right? Um, the, when the woman was washing his feet. Right, right, right. He's like, he's just the, spitting the Pharisee out thought in his heart, and he's like, hey, by the way, I heard what you just asked. <laughs> You better be careful what you think around Jesus. And so <laughs> so the, the woman is there, right? And so the, the beautiful picture plays out. He starts riding on, well, it's not, it's not even really the ground. It's the temple district, so it's paved, which is it's a whole other thought. He's riding on stone, which I think harkens back to his father riding on tablets of stone. So I think he's probably just riding the law on stone again and riding it in the temple wow. district. The temple district was the heavens, right? That was right. their perspective of the heavens. So that the finger of God's writing in the heavens. And, and it says that as the crowd watched, notice how it exits. This is the older started first. So the ones that have broken it more than anybody started first leaving like, oh, God, I better go out of here. Because <laughs> if he writes like my name beside one of these, this is not going to go well, right? So he gets all the way down to nobody is left, just the woman. And he says, again, in good King James fashion, uh, where are those who have come to condemn you? She looks around, my Lord, there, there are none. Neither do I condemn. Because so, let's just say for a minute, she was an adulterer. This, this is going to blow our minds for a minute. Let's just say she was an adulterer and they were right to bring her in front of Jesus. And Jesus says, I do not condemn. Now, go. Now, King James scholars, go study this if you've never heard this before. They're the ones that added in sin no more. Oh, really? Yeah, that's not in the original manuscript. Is that for real? Yeah, the original manuscript is now go. Wow. So in a lot of your versions, you'll see in their asterisks or parentheses and sin no more because they they had to believe that could not be the end of the declaration. Right. Why? <laughs> so Jesus was like, no, listen, you're, I'm not here to condemn. Go. And so, so we as good Christians have to add the and sin no more. Right. And, and, and perhaps it could have just been the implication was you're free, and now that you've been free, now what? I mean, right. it's, it's, it is for freedom. He set us free after all. Yeah. Which is, again, as a whole, it's, it, there's conversations about sovereignty, what that looks like. We've gotten sovereignty wrong. I mean, there's, oh, there's so many things. God's not a control freak. You should start a school. Right? You know, I should. Yeah. You know, and, and as a matter of fact, should I? Go for it. <laughs> you should start one. Oh, uh, so, uh, so yeah, I, I've got a school, Present Truth Academy. All right. And, uh, we're in our fourth year, which is, that's great. Boggles my mind to think about. Uh, and, uh, if, you know, what we've been touching on, I do deep dives on a lot of this. I stuff. love it. Um, and actually, I've got a series. We, we actually just posted it, got it up and running last week called Sovereign Love. Hmm. And it's a six week series on, it's, it's re examining sovereignty. Wow. 
right? Because the the whole religious approach, and that's at HesterMinistries.org. Let me put it on the site. So HesterMinistries.org is the ministry side. Okay. Present Truth Academy is the school side. Okay. Um, but yeah, so uh, just a fresh look at God's sovereignty. The way we, you know, describe, define sovereignty is supreme power and authority. And it's interesting, our default for supreme power and authority is what? God's in control. Why is that? I mean, have you ever thought about that? Why is that for us? Man, if I could have any superpower, it'd be to control all things. (laughs) Right? So so we, we, we transpose that expectation onto God, well, God's in control. And that sounds great until it's terrible. Yeah. Right. It's great when it looks like your enemies are suffering. It's great when you're super blessed and money in the bank. It's terrible when you're when your child drowns in a swimming pool. Right. Right. Well, God's in control. Well, is he? Because that sucks. Yeah. Well, his ways are higher than our ways. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. Because actually, if you go and keep reading that, we're told that we have the mind of Christ. So you can't you can't claim his ways are higher than mine if I have the mind of Christ. Right. Okay. He. he okay. Anyway. I'll get on a soapbox there. I don't mean to. So we have to get back to what is sovereignty. Sovereignty, supreme power and authority, manifested in and through the person of Jesus. What is sovereignty? It's agape. God's supreme power and authority is love. It's true. And if you open up 1 John 4, you find out fear and love don't occupy the same space. And what's the first thing we try to do with something we're afraid of or somebody we're afraid of? We want to control their behavior. I can control them, I can make them behave. So the, the greatest manifestation of fear in our lives concerning someone else is the desire to control, control them. So if God needs to control us for some weird reason, that means he's afraid of us. Right. And if he's afraid of us, we need to find another God to worship. Right. Sorry. But he's not. He's not. Perfect love casts out fear. God is not in control. And I know that freaks us out to hear that. Now, it, 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 it's helpful to say he's in charge but still, what do you mean when you say he's in charge? Yeah. See, I, I personally believe he's a partner in the journey. He loves us where we are. He walks with us. Listen, human experience, part of our curriculum is suffering, but he suffers with us. I think it's interesting. The two ways God most identify with us, when he comes in the flesh to dignify humanity, one of the ways that never goes away is that he suffered as one of us. So he's trying to show us suffering's a part of it, yeah. but I'll never leave you. Right. I'll never forsake you. You're never going to be in this alone. Well, why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know. Why do good things happen to bad people? Sometimes we just have to scratch our head and say, I'm going to have to allow mystery in this moment. Right. Because I will not try to allow my answer to paint a picture of the heart and nature of God that's not accurate. Right. And so for most of us, if we just give place to mystery, it would allow God and the image we carry of him to be much more healthy than it presently is. Just to be able to say, I don't know. And for guys like us, that's hard to say, right. but I'm becoming more and more comfortable with it yeah, to allow too. room for margin yeah. and room for mystery. Yeah. Uh, and so getting things like that right, because if you don't get that right, we make up the stupidest, most erroneous doctrine. Yeah, ridiculous. Right, like 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 stuff that our brother, John Calvin, came up with. Right. You know, and I say our brother because I, I firmly believe he's part of the family, Right, but he knows better now. He's that uncle. He, <laughs> he, he's that he's that He's that uncle. He knows better, and, and, and Uncle Martin knows better. I mean, all, all of our uncles, are gone, they know better. But, you know, it, we come with stuff like, well, God is in control. So he will create people Force. for the purpose of destruction. They, the only reason they exist is to fuel the furnace of hell. Right. Well, I almost let, what, let a word fly. <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's not the heart and nature of God. Right. Nope. But, but because we feel like we have to 
defend our positions theologically. Yeah. We'll paint him out to be a monster and not even repent for it. So I said all that to plug that series, Sovereign Love. You know, we, yeah, we, that's we, Eric, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, so please uh, just avail yourself of that. We, we'd love to have you partner with us in your journey in truth. We, we do stuff like Sermon on the Mount, um, Sacred Cow Tasting Menu, Trinity, which was, oh, beautiful. We did one on unity. I mean, there's just all kind of things. Gospels. Kind of, the Gospels, yeah. So you, you can just kind of pick, pick what you're interested in. That's what I think is unique about it. And then there's great electives that you can kind of take to go along with it all. And, and, and then this year, we, tur- we turned the academy into a resource. So it's not just... You have to be a student. You can just go get whatever you want and just go for it. Nice. So that's it's all available, and we'd love to, to I love be it. a part of it. Awesome, man, yeah. dude. I th- I love the conversation, man. I really me appreciate too. it, man. Thanks for having me in the in the flesh. In the, this in is awesome. So, what if the Lonnie Frisbee figure comes with a frisbee? Now that would be okay, right? Like the hand comes back and just it just <laughs> flicks it out. He's got to be in hippie attire. He's got to be in hippie attire. Uh, absolutely. Does it have to come off based on his story, right? Oh well, yeah. Be, they, they have they have changes. changes. Or baptism tank. <laughs> <laughs> the ocean. Something. <laughs> right. Oh man, Too we got to get on that. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, listen, seriously though, thank you so much for this conversation. I know it's going to bless so many people out there, uh, and and at least provoke them to think and to and challenge him to study more, read more. And that's the goal. That's the goal of what we're doing here. So love it. Thanks for having me. Anytime, my friend.